Well, if you're visiting this morning, a very warm welcome to you. If you join us online, a very warm welcome to you as well. We've got an exciting day. I won't keep you too long because I can sense the excitement and the belly is rumbling, yes, already. So I'm going to do a little talk for us this morning, which will hopefully help us and inspire us as well. So, first of all, do we see the work of God in our day to day? Now, that's the question I was pondering. What are the little things that we see maybe in nature or in our conversations or answers to prayer? Are we looking out for what God is up to and the reality of God in our lives? Whenever we take a journey in our car or on the bus, we're often looking out for signs. That happens all the time. Speed signs, which direction to go, traffic lights, etc., etc., etc. And we're looking out for the signs to guide us along that particular journey on any particular day. And I am one, a person who believes that God is interested in every little aspect of our journey, of our lives. And I believe God gives us many, many signs to, for us to recognize his work in our lives. Do you agree with that? Oh, well, that is good. We're on the same page. You can smile and nod if you want to at any part of the talk today. So are we aware of miracles? Are we aware of out-of-the-ordinary events? Are we aware of healing? Are we aware of God's signs and wonders in our lives? Or do we put them down to just chance? There was a time where maybe I would have been skeptical and think, oh, well, things just happen. You know, it's just by chance, it's just a coincidence, etc., etc., etc. But as I've grown in my relationship and faith life in Jesus, I tend to try and be more in tune with what God might be wanting to say to my life or to my friends or to my family and this kind of stuff. And but I believe God provides us with glimpses, with reminders, with insights into his provisions, his love, his care. He kind of wakes us up a little bit to his reality in our lives. Maybe we're praying for a miracle today. Maybe there's something going on in our lives where we're praying to God and we're looking for a miracle. And Jesus brought the signs of the kingdom to his time in, in that particular part of history, but that continues to work in and through our lives. Jesus wasn't here for two minutes and then gone and that is it. God is at work alive today in our lives each day and his signs of miracles and wonders happen on a daily basis. Now, that doesn't mean that we super spiritualize everything as well, but we do pay attention to what God is saying and perhaps nudging us towards in our lives. And we all recognize in the world that we live in there's this thing called sin, which is basically rebellion towards God and his love and his care and his protection, where it, you know, sin is rebellion against God. But then we see the kingdom of God, the love of God, the answer to sin through Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on the cross, the amazing miracle of God's forgiveness and in his creation. So let's continue to look out for these things that God is doing in our day to day. Now let me take you back to a few early miracles that I witnessed in my life, a few healings. I've mentioned these before, I'll mention them very quickly. I had a lump on my lip. It took about two years to grow, it was about the size of a pea, and I was about to have an operation on the Tuesday. It gradually grown and grown and grown, and it was a real pain. And um, I got prayed for on the Sunday. I went into the hospital on the Tuesday, and the lump was gone before they had a chance of the operation. And they sent me packing home. That was an amazing miracle, and it still lives with me. And there are various things that's gone on. I remember breaking my leg playing football. Well, you would remember that kind of thing. And the worst pain I've ever felt was not the leg break, but afterwards, 
was the pain in the screws of my leg, because I've got titanium in this, in this right leg here. But I had this infection going, oh, I have never felt such pain. I was like, oh, nearly crying. That's how bad it was. And, <laughs> and I remember sitting in Julian Sarah's house, and this had been about four nights, and I literally could not sleep, or I was terrible, rolling around in agony. And I uh, got Julian Sarah to pray for me, and bosh, the pain stopped, and that was it. No more pain. And it lives with me right now. I remember as a 15-year-old suffering my first migraine attack after playing football. And I got them for many, many years, constantly praying, constantly praying, you know, God, you know, help me from this. And at the age of 37, which is a few years later on, I, I haven't had any more migraines ever since. I get the odd headache, but not the crippling pain of migraine with a partial sightedness, you know, the feeling nauseous and all the rest of it. So sometimes we experience, you know, miracles in our life, there and then, healing, bosh, done. And sometimes we're praying for things which may take a little bit of time to outwork themselves. I just want to encourage us this morning that God is at work to continue to pray for the things that God is doing in our lives, to see the signs, to see the wonders. Now, I'm going to share you another one, okay? So we got the big banging miracles that we read about and know about and see and hear, and we encourage one another in our faith. I want to share, you know, sometimes I look at the things that God is doing. And um, going back a few weeks ago, these glasses that I'm wearing here, okay, which helped me to, to read, basically, I... Right, messed up. I bought these online, and I didn't realize if anything ever goes wrong with them, like a, a local shop won't fix them for you. Anyway, going back, probably about six weeks ago, I was outside the gate there, locking up after a Sunday morning meeting, got to the gate, and one of these bits fell off on the floor. I was like, oh, no. So I don't know what they call the arms. Let's call them the arms. I don't know what they officially call. But anyway, it fell off. And what I noticed, the little tiny screw that was in there, had gone missing. So I was like, oh, how on earth am I going to find that now? There's no chance of that. It's impossible. A tiny little one millimeter in diameter by about three or four millimeters long. I don't know. So that was it. I was very upset by that. Because you know, as you get old and you have to come to terms with the fact that you're getting older, it's really annoying, isn't it? Isn't it really annoying? Right? About five years, I went to hairdresser and the hairdresser offered to shave my eyebrows. <laughs> I was mortified. I was like, that is like, that means I'm getting old. So I, I said no, and then he asked me again the next time, and I said yes. Because it gets to the stage of life, I don't know about for, for you guys here, but when the hair on your eyebrows and your nose and your ears are growing quicker than the hairs on your head, you know we were in trouble. But I do know that one day, when, if, whatever, I get bald, I'll be growing them out and brushing them back over my head. <laughs> that is truth. Anyway, you come to terms with getting older, don't we? And that's really annoying. So then, when this glasses thing fell off, it was like, oh my gosh, I can't finish this. What's going to happen now? I'm going to have to put tape around it. And then I had a flashback to my science teacher. And he used to have tape on his glasses. And he used to have long eyebrows. And he used to have long ear hairs. I was like, oh, I'm turning into my science teacher. What am I going to do? Anyway, so as the story goes on, I thought, right, I'm dealing with this. I've got an engineering background. I can fix these glasses. So I went on to Amazon, I bought a glasses repair kit. There's a description, there's the price, 700 pieces. What basically means is a few tools and about 600 odd screws in there. Like, right, we'll get it sorted, ordered them, Bosch brought them. Checked through the whole set, I couldn't find one screw to fit. Can you believe it? Went on to Amazon again, bought another set, different description, different price, etc., etc. Came to my house, exactly the same one as I already bought. <laughs> Fuming. 
So that was it. I kind of gave up on fixing the glass. I thought I just have to, you know, bite the bullet and buy a new pair. So what happened? I put everything away, put the box out, went that, got my vacuum cleaners, because I was going to do a bit of cleaning with my cheapy glass at the buy, okay? The two-pound ones from a cheap shop, which you could just about see out of. Hoovering along, getting all the, all the bits and bobs out of the, out the middle room there. And as I moved a table with a fruit bowl out of the way, this little tiny speck of metal was on the floor in the corner of the room. I thought, oh, one of the screws has fallen off and it's down there. So I picked it up and then I looked at it. Hang on, there's a bit of grease on this. It's discolored three quarters of the way down. Surely not. Surely was. It was the missing screw of my glasses. No, that, yes, thank you very much. <laughs> now, some of you may think that is not a miracle. But God knows me, he knows I'm like a person who has details, and I was very upset with getting old and that I couldn't see and I was gonna to have to take my glasses up. And I found the screw, and it brought me such joy. It brought me joy, that is sad, well, I don't think so, it's pretty good. It brought me joy, this small thing. Let's look out for the signs of what God is wanting to do in our lives. Sometimes we have really weird, strange dreams, don't we? But sometimes we have like specific dreams as well. And going back again a few weeks ago, I'm just going to share you this with you quickly as well because it's a story. And um, what happened, I dreamt about one of Shan's close friends and we met in a shopping centre and she was with two of her friends. And we had a quick chat and we were like, oh, it's funny, we always bump into each other in the shops, don't we? And this was in my dream, by the way, not reality. So we go from there and then the dream switches to this woman's brother, who I've only ever met a few times on a few occasions. His name is Peter. And I dreamt about Peter, and in the dream, someone was telling me, maybe Matthew, someone like that, oh, Peter is coming to speak in church on Sunday morning. And I was like, in my dream, thinking, oh, that's strange, I didn't even know he was a Christian. That is very strange. Anyway, so that happened. So, all of a sudden, you know when you wake up, and you thought, oh, oh, it's not real. That was, that was just a dream, oh, thank goodness for that. Anyway, we get in the car that morning, we're driving down, like, Mumbles Way, Sean and I are talking, and Sean goes, oh, I need to see so-and-so, my old friend. Oh, that's weird. I said I dreamt about her last night. And her brother, Peter, who was going to come and speak in church. That's a weird dream, isn't it? And Sean goes, oh, yeah, that is weird. Anyway, fast forward to the afternoon. I am sent to Asda to go and pick up the things we'd forgotten to buy another time for shopping. Go to the tills, I bump into Peter. Of course you bump into Peter. As you do. I said, oh, hello, Peter, how are you? Right? Funny enough, I've got to tell you this funny dream I had last night that you were coming to speak to church because he knows Sean and I have a Christian background and we come to church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he just laughed and he said, oh, you wouldn't want me coming to speak in your church, he said. <laughs> and I just saw the joy in his face that even sharing the conversation about that, that he's been thought of and that we were thinking and praying and included this whole thing about the concept that maybe he would speak in church. It opens the doors because, you know, they're, they're good friends and we have like an open, fun relationship. And I believe that cemented something of reality into what God may want to do in that relationship. Because I believe God wants to open our eyes to his provision and for us to help other people come to know Jesus in our normal life journeys. We don't have to soup up our lives to be super religious, but in the reality of what Jesus has done in our lives, in that journey, we can help others on that part of their own journey as well. So 
It was a funny story. I just wanted to share those two little things with us this morning because let's look out for the little signs, the little wonders, which may not just be accident. Maybe God is wanting to do something specific. Who knows, okay? So our mouths and our actions flesh out the word of God. Right then, let's move on very quickly. We've got the big Sunday lunch today. So we've got a thematic miracle story for us. We're going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. That's a big Sunday lunch, isn't it? That is a big one. Anyway, so we're going to look at that, and I'm going to pull out some points for us so that we can take away as a packed lunch item later on. So John 6, verses 1 to 13, I'll read them for us, and let's see what we can get from that. Here we go. So Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now, isn't that an amazing account, an amazing miracle? It is like mind-boggling that that such thing would happen. A huge crowd, and we hear 5,000, that was the men, that wasn't the women and children who were there as well. We could have been looking at upwards of 12 to 15,000, maybe even 20, who knows. Now, just to give us a, a, a kind of indication of how much that would look like, the Swansea.com stadium just down the road has a capacity of 21,088 people. So that is a lot of people, isn't it? But that's the kind of expanse and volume of people, you know, a few less, but gives us a bit of an idea. There were families there. Extended families, friends, neighbors, a great gathering we read about. Their very own big Sunday lunch, although it was the evening, so maybe it was dinner or it was tea time or supper. Who knows? That's a debatable one, that word. But there's a huge gathering who are fed on that particular day. And they were there. Why were they there? Well, they were there because they were following Jesus. And they were following after what he was doing in the signs and the miracles, the healings, they had questions. They wanted to see what is this guy gonna do next. There are plenty of talking points in this miracle. The crowds kept following because Jesus was always doing something amazing, healing the sick. People wanted to know more. He took the opportunity here to teach the disciples about faith and the miraculous. He showed his pastoral care for the crowds not just their physical well-being through healing, but also their need to eat and have sustenance. 
and maintain their energy for the journey. So there's all these things we could consider and look for. As we read through through chapter 6, it gets to the point where Jesus teaches that he's the bread of life, that he is the one to come to for our needs. So he takes it a lot deeper than just the food that we eat, but he's talking about what it is to know Jesus, to know the Lord, that we can be sustained by him in our lives. That is where we find our fullness, where we find that we belong to a loving father. We find the, the beauty and the goodness of Jesus. He is the bread of life. And he talked about how when the Israelites had manna from heaven, that Jesus, that, that God sent bread from heaven. You know, bread of heaven, that's a, you know, almost, it's almost Welsh in a way, isn't it? Bread of heaven. But yes, God at work, Jesus takes all that we have and helps us to understand that he is our sustenance in life. You know, the, the, the hunger and the thirst and our physical needs, they will always be with us. But it's always reminding ourselves that our spiritual sustenance comes from him and him alone. And this is a familiar account for many of us, I'm sure. But for some of us, this might be the first time we're hearing of this miracle account. And it was such a big thing that each of the four gospel writers all included this miracle story in the New Testament. And this is actually the only miracle apart from the resurrection of Jesus that is included in the four writers. So I think someone wants to make a point somewhere. So yes, this is a great miracle story. So what I want to do now, there's many things we could look at, but just in, for this part of the talk, we're going to look at how each of the people in the story responded to this miracle and what their story was in, in this particular account. So when we're faced as a person with a certain challenge, do we view it as an opportunity to grow and to see God at work? Because sometimes things, our circumstances and surroundings happen, which we can't physically change ourselves. Maybe we can pray about something or ask for God's help in something. But how often do we look at the opportunity to grow in something, to grow in our faith, to see God's hand at work, to to experience perseverance and faith and the continuation of prayer and the continuation of trusting in God? It's to learn a life's lesson at times. And first of all, we're going to look at Philip because Philip got to witness a powerful life lesson firsthand in this account. So here's the verse in verse five, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Philip is invited to come up with a solution. And sometimes in our lives, we're asked to come up with a solution for a particular issue, problem, circumstance. Jesus already had the plan in mind, but he was coaxing Philip's kind of story here, his life and how his faith can be developed. The disciples had already had sort of a solution, which they suggested in the account of Matthew and Mark. Their solution, to be fair, would have been my solution. He's like, send them away. <laughs> you know, tell them to go home and get their own food. <laughs> That's a lot easier, isn't it? Surely. So we read that in the other accounts. Send the people away. 
And I probably would have thrown in the mix, well, why didn't they bring their own packed lunch? I'd probably be saying that later. But there is a garage next door and an Asda, to be fair, just across the road there. Now, is that the way we sometimes respond to a challenging situation or person or issue? Send the problem away. Sometimes the problem might be around to stay for a little bit longer. It's there we find depths of character and perseverance and faith and walking on and standing firm on the foundation of Jesus. Easily said, tough to put into practice, I'm sure. But send the problem away. A bit like in Matthew 15, there's the account of the Canaanite woman's faith. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer the word. So his disciples came up to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after this. You know, this is like, you know, this is a problem. There's a problem with a daughter's difficult and terrible suffering in this situation. And, you know, we can see the journey of the disciples here. It's like, oh, look, send her away. She's getting on our nerves, like, I'm crying out after this. We'll sort it out and send her away or do something. You know, that's the way sometimes we tick, isn't it? So it's interesting, isn't it so encouraging to see the people that Jesus chose to be the disciples, the apostles, a normal human being, just like me and you with the same issues, the same doubts, the same difficulties. But Jesus, you know, he loves us and he fills us and blesses us and teaches us and grows us. Sometimes we just don't know how to sort something out. Sometimes we're fearful Sometimes we just don't have the energy for it. I'm just depleted. I just don't have the energy for it. Anyone else uh, get experiences like that? I certainly do. I don't know how to sort it out. I'm fearful of what's going to happen, and I just don't have the energy for it. Normal human responses to difficult situations. But let's take something out of today's miracle, that God is at work, and he does see the details. Now, Philip would have had local knowledge being from Bethsaida, which is about nine miles away from where all this was happening. So he would have known where the local Greggs and Jenkins were and what particular scheme, loyalty scheme was running at the time, you know, buy 10 loaves, get one free, etc. So he had local knowledge. And Philip went straight into practical mode, as you do. These are the places we could trade. This is how much money we would need. This is how much of a fill a person could get by spending money on such and such. But wouldn't that be disappointing? The disciples come up to you, well, listen, guys, we've got you some food, we've got some bread. Take a bite and pass it on. Thank you, Philip. Good idea. But, you know, Jesus already had the plan in mind to highlight a powerful and supernatural act, mixing the practical with the spiritual filling of God. Now, there are times, I'm sure, where we've experienced occasions with our best efforts, our best strategies, we fail or struggle to solve a crisis, but then we remember prayer and a powerful God. Now, one of the earliest life-changing miracles I personally experienced was when I was aged about 20, and it was to do with a house move. Sean and I had recently got married. We got married when we were 19. We uh, bought a house through borrowing money. 
like a door and a half away from Sean's granddad who was unwell and he was going to need care. So we had said, yeah, okay, we'll get married. We're going to live near him and we'll help him out, etc., etc., etc. So we were getting married in the June. In the March, he passed away, which, you know, obviously is very upsetting. But also, it's like, oh, well, I weren't expecting that to happen. And we had, you know, planned, we bought this house now and we were going there. Maybe we wouldn't have had that not been the case. So fast forwarding through those first 12 months of living there, it was at the time where the church was very young. Julian and Sarah planted the church up in Penland with just a few people. And we felt it important to come and live near, in the vicinity, in the area, get involved in the community and be part of the church plant. But when you're like 19 and you're earning, I don't know, I think I was earning like 70 quid a week at the time doing an apprenticeship. And Sean's wage is very low as well. She was, she was uh, being educated and stuff like that. We didn't have the money to move. How do you do that? We borrowed money. Now we need to get a mortgage to try and move. Well, we couldn't find a house. We looked around and everything else. We were praying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, eventually we came across this local estate, which was being built brand new. There was no chance we'd get a mortgage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what happened, one day we had a meeting with the, the, the salesperson there. And they said, oh, we've got this scheme running now where we can part exchange where you can, we'll take your house, we'll, give you, we'll offer you some money for it, and then you can come and move into this new estate, because it's an important thing to do for them. And um, how things worked out, and I see it as a miracle, and God at work, is they give us money for the house that we bought in Lacha, and it was 70% more than what we bought for it, like 12 months before. And when, like, you've got no money, and you're, you're a young wage earner, that was like, that was like a humongous amount of money. And we would actually be able to put a load of money down as a deposit. Now, I'll tell you what, we need some miracles in this day and age to buy a house, don't we? But I'm very grateful at that time. So, guys, keep praying. Do all the practical things you can. But let's see what happens. Because God knows the details. And we do live in a society where things are a struggle. But let's be encouraged that God can produce miracles in the mix of it all. And the important thing is, you know, is what our attitude, our motives are for our lives. You know, why are we doing the things we do, etc.? Is it to serve? Is it to give? Is it, are we just looking at our own kind of situations? But God is a miracle worker. And here Philip put financial limitations on the situation, but Jesus wanted to lift the lid off just the practical. Let's open up our thoughts and our prayers to Jesus to see what change he can do. So that's Philip's story. Next, after his attempt, it was over to Andrew, another of the disciples, Andrew. Simon Peter's brother spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Is Andrew somehow finds the lad with a small amount of supplies? And what happens? This becomes part of the solution. Andrew is like a, a relational connector, and he's found this lad with, with, with the uh, small offering here. The human offering of bread and fish. But then we see God's work and the multiplication that takes place to affect thousands. We don't know what was going through Andrew's mind. You know, when you, like, there's this massive problem, and there's like five rows and two fish here. Well, anyway, let's go with it, Jesus. You know, there's a boy here with, with the fish and the loaves. Uh, and that, that was it. That, that's as much as he knew. 
And Andrew doesn't have a huge prominent prominence in the gospel accounts. But he's a people person, one who connects people. And that is a great way to serve God, is to be a connector of people, a person who can somehow be part of a person's journey into knowing Jesus. So Andrew, we see him find the young lad, and this situation goes on to be legendary. You know, this is a famous account of this young lad. This has all happened. In John 1, 40 to 42, we read that Andrew finds his brother Simon, tells him we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. We, you know, we hear of Andrew's account there. And then later on in John 12, 20 to 22, we read that now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to Andrew to tell him, and Andrew and Philip then in turn told Jesus. So Andrew was an introducer, a connector of people. And in our lives, God will be at work asking us or helping us to connect people to him in our journeys. And we can do that. We can do that. It's something that we can all partake in. It's something we can all do and be part of. Being people connected to Jesus is great. It's such a rewarding thing to happen, to be those who can have a conversation meet up for a chat, for a coffee, invite to a church, get together or a meeting. We currently do in the Alpha series. Who knows what an invitation will lead to in someone's life? Something different, something that helps people in their journey. Sometimes a real darkness can fall on people's lives and things can be very difficult and get stuck into a situation where it just doesn't look as if there's any way out of this. But we know, as those who know and love Jesus and receive something of him in our lives, that there are answers, and there are ways out of dark places. That Jesus went to the cross for a reason, through the, you know, the, the sacrifice and faithfulness of his love, is to connect those who are lost, who need saving, who need rescue in their lives. And many of us here today, Remember that personal story for ourselves. And Jesus encourages us that maybe we got a small part to play in someone else's journey in knowing him for their lives. In John 14, Jesus encourages those around him, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. What a great privilege that God uses us ordinary people to outwork his mighty ways, to partake in miracles and the works of God in our lives, connections, people being in the right place at the right time. That sometimes happens, doesn't it? We bump into someone or something happens where, oh, that was really unusual. But God is at work. What a privilege it is to serve God. Now, the book of Acts helps us to see the church powerfully at work. And Sarah brought this great encouragement to us at the start of this year to be part of community and mission miracles in our lives. The story of the early church. And it is encouraging that the early church are people just like you and me. That's good, isn't it? Okay, and the last bit before we go for our big Sunday lunch is the young boys pack lunch. And it's about to be etched into history. Who would have thought that could have happened? When you get up one day 
and you put your pack lunch away, that that is going to change history and thousands of people's lives. That is amazing, isn't it? Something as small as that. A little act like that can change thousands of people's lives. And millions of people will hear about it for thousands of years to come. Wow. Let's have a little look. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So something seemingly small and insignificant is utilized to provide for the needs of the many. What a great feeling it is just to share some food, to share something practical, but that God can produce a miracle through it. We read that Jesus gave thanks and blessed it, and thousands were fed and satisfied. A very powerful miracle with many witnesses and a simple act, feeding bellies, but feeding our spiritual appetites for many years to come because Jesus was at work in this amazing time. The young boy was part of the miracle and the legacy left. Who would have thought that? What kind of legacy are we leaving with our lives? What is our packed lunch made up of today? God can do amazing things in and through it. The small thing that we may have, when given to God, can be multiplied into something that is absolutely amazing and life-changing for many others. Every service, every action, every kind word is an investment into God's kingdom. When I drove into the car park this morning, I was greeted with balloons and bunting. How often does that happen? It was a nice welcome. But someone had come here this morning and set all that up, and it was such a nice welcome. Something practical, but great as well. A small act, but something that is good. Are we encouraging our young girls and boys to know and trust Jesus in our journeys? Are we looking out for the signs and wonders ourselves? It cost the young lad his packed lunch, but what is our cost, our sacrifice, practical resources, our time, our money, all these things are part of our packed lunch of life, which we can bring on an exciting adventure. And um, I just want to tell a story in closing. Now and again, I sit down and I kind of review the years gone by, and I wonder, you know, what are the things I've been involved with which may have helped others or served others in some way and brought some sort of benefit? And uh, one thing that often crops up is when we bought a building up in Penland and people gave and all that and we opened up a building. But also the venue too is a more common one, you know, a more recent thing that happened. And it was through the giving of the church or the people of the church, a loving community, a sacrificial community, a community who wanted to bless others. We have the great benefits of this building, but it cost, it was a sacrifice. And it's not just for us, it's for whoever, whoever would like to come along and meet some churchy Christian people. And what I remember, and that little picture just came up now, if you could put it back for you, Michael. Now, that is an Andrew Harvey's packed lunch bag. It's just I was looking for a packed lunch picture, and it just so happened to have Harvey on it. I thought, oh, that looks nice. I'd like a bag like that. And the piggy banks there, 
Because I remember the children putting their pocket money into the offering of venue two. And as us adults thrashed about in our minds how much money we think we could afford or give or were happy to give or to sacrifice. And you know, that's a faith journey in itself. I remember the kids and being involved in the trusteeship and the treasurer here, it's a good title, the treasurer, to see those things was such an amazing, wonderful journey, heartwarming, amazing, that the kids are involved in this faith journey. And when we talk about next week, we're going to have baptisms here. I love a good baptism. And to see adult people making their minds up to, to take the next step of faith in their lives, that is so heartwarming and encouraging. And it's happening here in this building where children and people from all the church have been given. I love it. So what is our pack lunch today? What's in our pack lunch? What can we give to God for him to put his hand upon and to bless? Personal growth, character, and all these types of things which each of the disciples went through themselves and each of us will be challenged in and through as well. So that is it for this morning. And we've got our lovely big Sunday lunch to look forward to now. So let's close our eyes and I shall close in prayer. And then we can have a great time together. Yes, so we thank you that through this miracle story that we read about and sometimes perhaps take for granted. Lord, help us to see that our lives are very important to you, Lord. That you see the details. Sometimes you see all the things that are going on, Lord, for us, Lord, maybe the struggles or the difficulties or the exciting new journeys we're about to step into and the new chapters of our lives, realizing that you're at work. So we pray with faith this morning, Lord, that the things that we have, whether it be our time, our resources, whatever is contained in our packed lunch today, Lord, we ask you to bless and to multiply. Maybe we'd be those who live a legacy and give a legacy for the future, for the benefit of others. And in that journey, Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful to you for your love, for your sacrifice, Jesus, for your forgiveness. And Holy Spirit, right now, we ask you again to fill us, Lord, to fill our conversations and our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. Matthew. Thanks.